Hello and welcome to another episode of Scarves Around the Funnel, a hearts dedicated podcast coming to you from the United Kingdom here in Musselburgh with myself, Laurie Dunsire, and a man a little bit further afield, Mr. Mark Donaldson. From Connecticut. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's it's afternoon here in morning for you, which is a little different for us because it's usually late evening for me and sort of what late afternoon dinner time for you. Yeah, but my beloved daughter has had me up since three a.m. this morning, <laughs> so it feels like night time. <laughs> but we get there in the end. Uh, quickly before we we get going, a couple of people mentioned the sound from our last episode. <laughs> oh. I did mention on Twitter myself, so a very, very quick explanation. First of all, apologies for these sound issues. Um, We put out as best we can. I say we, I put out as best as I could because it was my error to begin with. We'd had a few issues with recording not being picked up and us having to record the podcast more than once. Um, And I discovered it was because of changing settings once we had started our recording. So this time... I was all keen to make sure all the settings were in place before we started recording. Uh, Accidentally, I set the recording to pick up not my nice fancy microphone that I talk into, but just the laptop itself. So it was going through the general microphone on the laptop, um, a good, I don't know, 50 centimetres away from me, not the best quality. So no more blunders this week, touch wood, I'm sure. So apologies for last time. Um, we'll, we'll We'll make up for it this time, I'm sure. So we've got a bit of a, a busy podcast. We're going to look back at Hart's latest game, which was at home to Motherwell. We're going to look at a couple bit more of the... We're going to look at some more of the homework that you've given us as part of the competition. We'll announce the competition winner. And uh, we'll also look ahead to the next Hearts game, which is a big Friday night football at the Tony Macaroni Arena. Wonderfully named stadium. Um, so we'll start off, Mark and... It was Motherwell in town, and for what seems like, I guess, the first time in an eternity, Hearts got a win. Um, seven games without a victory. It wasn't pretty, but I don't think anyone cared by this point. By the Motherwell defender Aldred, curl back in by Bozanj. Good ball as well, headed towards goal, and it's in from Peter Haring, or it's possibly an own goal. Haring certainly with a challenge. I think from the reaction of the Motherwell defenders, it's possibly Charles Dunn who's got the final touch. It's a really good cross though from Bozanic and it's just looped over Mark Gillespie in the end. First blood, Hearts, and it comes in the end really from a throw in, which probably shouldn't have been a throw in well, because right. Hearts should have had a free kick. The thing is, I, mean, you know... I don't think it was ever going to be pretty when Hearts got their first win, but it showed they can battle, they can scrap. They have a leader in Christoph Berra. They found the back of the net, whether it was from a Motherwell player or whether it was from Peter Haring. And now it's all about kicking on from this. I listened to uh, you and Jimmy at the weekend, watched the game on Hearts TV, and you'd mentioned the conversation you and I had had last week about being ahead for only a short period of time. Yes, it was nervy towards the end, um, but we've now got the three points we've now got the win and isn't it funny how when you lose games you're not interested in looking at the league table but when you win and you look at the league table and you see hearts 
just a point behind Rangers and Kilmarnock because the other results kind of went our way as well. And then just three points behind Celtic, albeit they're going to romp away with it. Then you think to it's it's like um it's like when you when you bet and you win and you think I wish I put more money on yeah well you would have <laughs> lost more if you'd lost and you're like oh if if we'd got that goal and that two one win at St Johnston and if we hadn't have had the assistant referee against Rangers we'd be top of the table it doesn't work like that it's all ifs buts and maybes we're in a good spot right now we've won a game we're confident going into the Livy game but if anybody I, one quote that Craig Levine said afterwards in his interview um, with Hearts TV. And that quote was, um, we know we can't play silky football right now. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to win games. This is a building blocks. You don't run before you can walk. You get the win. Then you've got the confidence. Then you try things. That's the way this works. They've got the win onwards. And I think... One thing, I mean, you mentioned it there, the fact that yeah, when you're winning, you're like, oh, why couldn't have we scored here, scored there, um, got points when we when we maybe thought we should have and we didn't. One thing I mentioned recently before we'd actually got this win was overall Hearts results for the season up to this point are pretty decent as a whole. You know, if you scattered them around... Um, not in the order that they have happened. I think people would be quite content. You know, there's a few yeah. bad, a few bad defeats, some draws that maybe could have been wins, some draws that could have been defeats, and some really good victories. But it's because it all came in this massive chunk at the start that mm-hmm. everyone got ridiculously excited, and me included. Um, quite right. Why? Why not? It doesn't happen to us very often. Exactly. And then it, it all came in the other extreme. We just couldn't buy a win. Yeah, so, that, that's that's what I said t- last week or two weeks ago. If it had been the other way around, if we'd started the season horrifically and then gone on this crazy run, um, it would have been a totally different feeling. We won at Kilmarnock, didn't we? Yes, 1-0 early in the season. Yeah. Right, okay, and, and we lost at home. Mm-hmm. This is another way to think about it. Three points from the two games is probably expected, because Kelly's always a tough place, albeit not the way around it was. If we'd been unbeaten in those two games and drawn them both, we're a point worse off. So... Give me a win and a loss over two draws any day. It's just, but it's the perception, isn't it? The win came first, everyone's great. Then the loss came, and it's like everyone's down. Whereas if it's turned around, it's, it's just, it's, it's weird when you look at things. And I'm looking at the table, there's only 10 points separating the top eight. It's very congested, it certainly is. I mean, one thing, we'll look at the Motherwell game bit by bit. So Motherwell's a team that we've now beaten three times this season, two 1-0 victories in the league. And in terms of the team itself, I obviously messaged you when I got the team. My my big interest from that was the fact that system-wise, formation-wise, and how Levine had set up was pretty much exactly as, as you'd put your team for the second half of the season, albeit personnel different because of who's mm-hmm. available. Of course. But the system was basically a 3-4-2-1. Okay, so we're talking you had two strikers. Uh, this is more two supporting players for the one striker. But almost identical what you'd put out system-wise, although Craig Levine had apparently told the, the Hearts lads that it was a 3-6-1. I don't, know if, <laughs> I don't know if he just deliberately does that to wind people up, but um, it, in many ways it technically was a 3-6-1. Um, so a couple of points from that. Michael Smith, we'd mentioned you know, he played centre-back against Rangers, he moved back to full-back against St. Johnston. Back in the centre, 
and he was almost that old-fashioned sweeper in between the two big centre-backs. Um, I thought it worked really well. I, I really liked him in one moment, maybe some him up in comparison to maybe Berra next to him was when he, he stepped out and he played a lovely pass to Dimitri Mitchell, big cross-field ball which Mitchell took down and we actually, we almost scored from it, it went out for a corner in the end, but I thought he was a, again a really good player to have in there, he's not the biggest, he's not going to win headers like Berra does, but he got the ball down, he covered well and he also stepped out and, and played a couple of good passes and to me it, it works brilliantly with, with that three in the back and if Suter comes back, um, or if it's when Dunn's available, I'd be quite happy to have a Berra and a Suter or a, a Berra and a Dunn either side of Smith. No offence to Di Camona, he, he, was, he was decent on Saturday. I just think he's not as strong as the other centre-backs we have. Craig Levine used the word sweeper. I haven't heard a player playing in a back three called a sweeper for a while. It was, it was, just, it was a, a, a throwback. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he did. He mopped up. And he, he came forward, as you mentioned, a couple of times. I thought he played really well. I thought Jum was exceptional yes, definitely. as well. Um, I'll let you into a little... I'm not going to BS you. Um, when you questioned me on Jum's absence for my team last week, I immediately thought I knew there was one I was going to put in, and I couldn't <laughs> think who it was. Hence the fact on Twitter I put, I put Jum in and I dropped Haring back one. But he played well. Mitchell had more freedom as well. I just think... There are managers that play a, f- a formation and they fit players in, which is, is fine. It's just not the way I would go about it. And I, I like what Craig Levine did. Um, he's picked the players and he's picked the formation based on who he wants to play. And I think I'll, I'll, be, I'll be surprised between now and the end of the season if we play four at the back more often than we play three at the back. I think the big thing that impressed me about Jim on Saturday wasn't just his quality on the ball which was it was really important for us to keep possession more when we had it because it was a tough game it was a game where we're going to have to work hard to to make sure we go over the line but he worked hard as well off the ball and I think it's a lot of people's criticism of Arno Jume is often that when things are getting tough when it's a bit of a battle when it's not just free-flowing attacking football by hearts he often hides I I think it was far from that on Saturday He, he dug in well he got involved and helped out his teammates when we maybe needed an outlet or we needed someone to come back from midfield and help out. So I thought all round he was really important on Saturday. I had him down as, yeah, June great, my man of the match, maybe closely followed by Michael Smith, who interestingly after the game with a few people in the pub, there was a lot of people still slating Michael Smith. They know who they are. Um, and I was arguing, and I just don't, I don't get it at all. I think he's a great player and we saw in the news recently that he um he looks like he's going to be potentially signing an extension. Craig Levina said that that's definitely on the cards. Um and yeah, he's not spectacular. We said last time he's we're not saying he's he's a fantastic technical footballer. He's going to rampage up and down the right hand side, but I think he gets up when he needs to. I think he defends well. He reads the game well, and I think he's just a cool head. And I and I compared him to Robbie Nielsen. Um, when I was debating with people and they said, oh, no, no, you can't do that. And I said, look, I remember when Robbie Nielsen played for Hearts and this debate happened all the time. Lots of Hearts fans didn't like Robbie Nielsen as a player. They thought he wasn't fast enough. He wasn't attacking enough. He, he didn't you know, do enough up and down the side. But he reminds me of Smith a lot. He, he, he knew his limitations and he knew what he was good at. He read the game well. He defended well. He was a good team player. And he did get up and cross the ball when he, when he needed to. Can I introduce 
this week's homework right now because it yes. follows right on the back of what you have just said. Mm-hmm. And it's a great point because um, Nielsen was a target for the Boo Boys right at the beginning. Obviously, I don't know about the Michael Smith. I, I didn't realize that was the case. We all have booed a player or players in our time. So, again, this is just off the cuff. This week's homework is quite simply, who was your boo boy? Who was the guy that no matter what he did, after you'd made up your mind and made up your opinion, nothing was going to change that opinion. You would grudgingly stand up and slow hand clap if he scored just because you've never liked him. And no matter what happens, you never changed your opinion. Or did you? David Hagen was mine. I never did change that opinion. But who was yours? And did they do enough for you to eventually, grudgingly, hypocritically change your opinion? Who was yours? Well, I was going to tell you, one thing I would say is a lot of people will maybe make it not just necessarily boo boy. I know that you don't mean it doesn't have to be literally, but the player who you just didn't like or you you slagged to your mates or you just didn't ever Exactly. And it might even have been a good player that other people thought was great, but you just couldn't quite see it. So who was the one you were never, well, we'll call it the boo boy, but who was the one you were never really taken by? The, the, there's one that pops in my mind, and it's maybe not never really taken by, but there was a game where I said, I'm done, I'm, I'm done with him. Um, I, I, it was a certain striker who often was seen as a bit lazy, carried a bit of extra Jim weight. Hamilton? No, no, a bit later than that. And later on, he has redeemed himself to me, but not playing for Hearts, funnily enough, playing for other teams, and it's Christian Nade. But the game in Zagreb, when we got destroyed by Dinamo Zagreb, yes. I it was after that game, I was I was actually, I was livid, especially at him. And it, I think the reason was he was up front on his own. And I remember the game, it was, and um, Zagreb just came at us, came at us, came at us. And they basically had free roam into, well into our half without ever having been closed down or challenged. And I thought that was the main problem all night. You know, we would have got comfortably beaten that night, I think, regardless of who was playing. But that annoyed me so much. And Nadi just stood up there, didn't close down. And I said, look, you'd be better having me up there just running about and at least throwing tackles in and trying to close players down. He's just standing up there. I remember I was I was just so few minutes after that game, I was like, I'm done with him. We're paying him so much money. He's lazy. He's a complete waste of space. And much of that is true for a lot of Christian Harry's career at Hearts, to be honest. However, I think what he's done against him since for other teams has made me quite fond of him. Christian Harry did well against Dumbarton. Uh, sorry, for Dumbarton against them, for Wraith. As well, I just wonder: Do you think we'll get eleven? Uh, we'll be able to do a, a proper team based on <laughs> boo, on people's a, kind of a boo boys boo, eleven. A boo boys eleven, yeah. <laughs> We'd need a goalkeeper for that. Is it? Has there been a goalkeeper that people have uh, not not really kind of been taken by? Kurskis, I, I don't know, but that's probably justified. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess it, it needs to be a player which had a prolonged. It can't just be. I, I guess a, a one-off. Yeah, and he can't just be a rubbish player either because everybody booed him. This is more a kind of you booed him and others kind of didn't really. I remember right at the start, I'm sure John Miller used to get booed. I love John Miller as a Hearts player. He was just, he was he was superb, but people weren't taking him, taken by him at the time. Um, I'm going back to the days of, of, I remember we played at Falkirk, Steve Penny, John Miller, these guys as well. 
Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's a goalkeeper out there that, that some people weren't convinced by, and that was their player that they just were not having no matter what the circumstances were. Okay, let's have your, your boo boys or the, the players who you just didn't ever take to. You slagged them off to your mates. You got frustrated at games by them. Maybe they came good. Maybe they didn't. So, yeah, tweet us at Around the Funnel and you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Back to the Motherwell game. We are, obviously, as we normally do, getting carried away on different tangents. There's not much to talk about, so let's not spend an eternity going over it. However, a quick couple of points to go over, Mark. Um, so in terms of match incidents, one of the early ones uh, was Motherwell getting the ball in the back of the net through Curtis Main. Now, it's a lovely finish. Yeah. I, th- I think play has stopped Bobby Zlamal when we claim that he didn't really go for it. However, I have to say, I, I didn't really see much of a foul there. Um, no, no, and, and I'm with you there as well. It was one of those, even on second look, because we got a replay on Harps TV, it was like, whoa. Now, Bobby Slamal did stop, because I heard the whistle, and, and, and he did stop, but it yes, was a good yeah. finish, and I'm not sure he would have got there. But that's the other thing as well. I think the whistle has gone before Kurt, Curtis Main has tried the shot, so has that alleviated... You know what it's like. Sure, it's yeah, like a, when you're golfing, you miss a putt, and it's always the putt that you your practice putt that goes in, the one afterwards where there's no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so again, but I didn't think it was a foul. Moving on to the ball being in the back of the net at the other end, and this time counting, it was you know still in the fairly early stages. Um, cracking ball from a man who we were kind of praising last time around to Oli Bazanich, lovely cross into the box. I have to say, at the time, I was almost certain it was an own goal. I've seen it again. I still think it looks like an own goal to me of Charles Dunn. Um, at the moment, I think Haring is still getting the goal, though. I don't, I don't know what your view of it was. It, it didn't look like his goal to me. Somebody said that uh, he had said to his teammates, I never got a touch. Um, who cares? <laughs> it's a bo- it's oh, a yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't I, necessarily no, care. Whether it's, whether it's Gareth McCauley putting through his own net or whatever, the, the, the point here is that we are putting enough pressure on the defender, if it was him or whoever it was, um, to, to do what he's just done. So it's Haring's goal for me. I don't care, whatever. The motherwell defender doesn't want it. Give it to Haring, and that'll boost his <laughs> confidence as well. Um, so regardless of that, it gave Hearts the lead. And um, and you, you, po- you, you pointed out a little bit earlier when you, you gave a quick summary of the game, we didn't really go for the go for the jugular here, and I said it during during commentary. You said it just now, and I think the reason is we've we've struggled to get results recently. We've struggled to score, let alone get wins on the board, and we've lost leads pretty soon after. The Rangers' lead lasted, I think, seven minutes. The lead at St Johnston lasted fourteen minutes. So my only thought here is Craig Levine has looked at it and thought, right. We need to keep. We need to get the confidence up. We can't go and lose an equaliser at the other end because again, the, the game completely turns on its head. Let's be solid. We have the goal. Uh, Motherwell have been pulled away from home themselves generally, so let's try and see this one out. I mean, it's early in the game. It's still a quarter of an hour in, but it kind of felt like that for the the rest of the game. The next seventy five minutes were sort of like Hearts being solid, being set up well, and yeah, we almost caught them out a couple of times on the break, but it was really, uh, I guess. A lengthy. It was almost like yeah, there's ten to fifteen minutes to go. Let's 
shut up shop and just be solid. But we did that for the majority of the game. I don't think we're going to look to do that every time we go 1-0 up at home. I just think it's the circumstances of recent form. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's get the win, close it out, move on with confidence you didn't have beforehand and with um, with momentum as well. And I think the fact it's a Friday game coming up is a good thing as well, under the lights. Um, I think it's on TV, is that correct? It's a live TV game, Friday night at the Tony Macaroni. Yeah, yeah, so so all, all good. I think I don't think there's much point in analysing it further. I don't think Craig <laughs> Levine will be doing that. I think it's just a case of we kind of knew that when we got the win, it would pretty much be scrappy. It was. We've got it. Move on. Okay, well, let's move on, and let's move on to some more topics here. Hearts have got the win. We'll look ahead to Livy uh, at the end of the show, uh, and we'll have a quick talk about that. Uh, But let's go on to some of the bits of feedback we've received. So, again, just to reiterate, this was the homework that was given to the listeners, uh, the homework being the listeners provide us with the homework. One of the ones I mentioned last time was uh, the cup final winning teams from 98 2006 and 2012, Gordon Stitt asked what would be the best combined team from those three finals. So Gordon himself uh, gave us Craig Gordon in goals, Tam Flo got right back, Takas Fisas at left back, a central defensive pairing of Stephen Presley and David Weir, midfield three of Brelier, Cameron and Hartley, and Stefan Adam in attack with Rudy Scatchel one side and Neil McCann the other. So a 4-3-3 formation for Gordon Stitt. Amoruso lets it run, who's at Amoruso1998, perfect name for for this subject, and someone, if you go and follow them on Twitter, you'll get great hearts content from superb videos put together and posted on his Twitter feed. Uh, he went with a 3-5-2 to fit in some players, so he's got Gordon in goals, Weir Presley Fisas, a back three, Flogel and Scatchel wide right and left, so I think you're kind of wing backs, if you want to call them that. Fulton, Salvatore and Hartley in the centre and Jankowskis and Adam up front. So 3-5-2 from Amoruso lets it run. Uh, Ian Veach uh, also went with a 3-5-2 and also went with Weir, Presley, Fisas at the back with Gordon in goals as well, which is pretty much consistent. Gordon's in goals for all of these teams. Uh, he went Flogel on the right, McCann on the left with Scatchel slightly inside alongside Hartley and Cameron, a very attacking central midfield. And again with Adam and Jankowskis up front. Uh, so 3-5-2. Andy Scott, another uh, four at the back fan. Um, Gordon in goals. McGowan right back. Naismith left back. Weir and Presley again in the centre, which is a recurring theme. Cam- <coughs> excuse me, Cameron, Salvatore and Hartley in the centre. Scatchel and McCann ahead of them, providing support. So he says Adam will be up front. Fullbacks pressing up. Salvatore covering Rudy playing behind Adam and McCann with license to Rome. So that's your 4-3-2-1. So Stefan Adam is not surprisingly getting in all of these teams, the man who scored the second goal in the 98 Cup winning team. Um, quick couple of more. Your favourite person, Mark, Tenacious T, uh, says <laughs> Gordon and goals, McPherson, Weir, Richie, Naismith. So that is the back four from the 98 Cup winning team. Uh, Aguiar, Cameron, Hartley, McCann, and Scatchel and Adam. So didn't put a formation there, Tenacious T. So I'm assuming maybe it's Adam up front, McCann and Scatchel providing support with uh, Bruno Aguiar, Colin Cameron and Paul Hartley in midfield. Um, 
Let's do two more very quickly. Uh, Callum Lang says, oh, he's given me, I like this. Callum Lang and the next person, Andy Dixon, are both giving me in an image, a formation image. I like it. So Gordon in goals, Fisas left back, Nielsen right back, David Weir alongside Stephen Presley. Steve Fulton in this one, alongside Cameron, the two deeper midfielders, with McCann, Scatchell and Hartley, the attacking three behind Jankowskis up front. So that's another 4-2-3-1. And uh, Andy Dixon's team was Fisas, Presley, Weir and Nielsen, the back four with Gordon in goals. Uh, he's went 4-5-1. So Salvatore sitting, Scatchell left, Flogo right, Cameron Hartley in the middle and Stefan Adam up front. So we have got a few more, um, but... That'll probably do us for now. So, Mark, some interesting ones there. There's a lot of three at the back. Um, people yeah. are trying to fit in. I think there's a lot of good defenders in those three teams. I think that's the problem. I mean, you can't even fit uh, a Paul Ritchie or an Andy Webster or a Mari Salyukas in there because there's so many good players. Weir and Presley certainly seem to be getting the nod most of the time. Would that be something you'd agree with? Okay, yeah, it would be. And the ones you read towards the end were kind of similar to, to what I've gone with. Okay. Um, I've gone with a 4-3-3, 4-5-1, depending on attack or whatever. I'm going with Gilles Rousset in goal because, not that I think he's a better goalkeeper than Craig Gordon, uh, two years before he won the Scottish Cup, he had one of his worst moments in football mm-hmm. at Hamden yeah. uh, against Rangers. And to bounce back and to play well uh, because he had to, and I thought he, he marshaled his defence extremely well at Celtic Park that day, in May in 1990. I've gone with him in goal. I've gone with Robbie Nielsen because we wouldn't be including anybody from 2006 mm-hmm. had it not been for his tackle. So he, again, there's uh, Tam Flogo misses out for me, which is unfortunate, but I've got to have Nielsen in there. Weir and Presley in Fisas, again, just over Gary Naismith. Uh, midfield trio, I love this, Salvatore, Hartley and Cameron. That is a proper midfield with McCann and Scatchel in support of, mm. of Stefan Adam. So, Pretty similar to, to two or three of the uh, the entries. Yeah, what's yours? It's it's difficult for. I'm not doing it. I'm I'm a pussy. I'm, I can't. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to take players out. I, I like don't want them, to offend. I like them all. Here, too, I like them have all. Have a certificate much. for taking part. Just don't <laughs> offend. <laughs> Come I'm on. I'm impressed you put Rousset in there because well you've been sentimental with that. Craig Gordon's a better goalkeeper than Jules Rousset. I mean that's. I like them both. I mean, Rousset I'm very fond of, and Craig Gordon is maybe not as liked, although I think that's a nonsense as well, just because of who he plays for now. But, yeah, I think I think he's a better goalkeeper. Um, so it's interesting. I, I, I did have Jankowskis in a draft, but who am I putting him instead of? McCann, it would be a little bit unbalanced. So it's totally subjective, totally subjective. And it's been interesting listening to some people going three at the back, because, as, as you mentioned, there's a lot of good defenders in there that we have to leave out. There certainly is. So thanks for the feedback, everyone who, who got in touch with that one and the other subjects. So we're going to bring to a close the the competition, which to remind everyone, it was to win the Hearts edition of the Taxi board game. So a little stocking filler or a Christmas present for someone or just something to get the family around the table, um, entertaining little board game and the competition winner now if you've tuned into previous weeks you will have heard us talking about moments you've met hearts players and uh, the conversations that took part or, or what came up or what happened when you met a hearts player and it was ian white who gave us that 
question, that bit of homework. Um, the Neil McFarlane lookalike, according to uh, Orwell Hearts, I think, and Ian's friends, or maybe just other Hearts fans, either way. Um, Ian White gave us that one. And I think, Mark, that's been the one that has proved to give... It's, it's given us the most entertainment, basically. Namely because we found out that apparently Ganny Mackay goes around giving other people's wives flowers, um, which we've never got to the bottom of. We've still not got to the bottom of that one. Great topic. Yeah, and it, it elicited a lot of... Um... A lot of responses as well, and um, people in Craig Levine's car. Uh, <laughs> Hi- lo- hiding from their wife, I think, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. We never got to the bottom of that, did that, we? That one either. No, people haven't. I've actually followed up and messaged. Uh, it was you and Fleming, I think, who messaged me about the story with Gary McKay turning up, his, turning up at his door with flowers for his wife. Didn't come back to me with any more info. Um, I'll need to go and look up who it was who said they hid in Craig Levine's car from their wife. Again, didn't get any more feedback. So maybe people just don't want to elaborate, which is possibly understandable. But I, I would love to find out. So if you can, you'll get in touch, people, and, and let us know more. But yes, Ian, thank you very much. That's definitely the winning entry. So I'll get the taxi board game out to you. If you could just give uh, the Scarves Around the Funnel Twitter account a little private message with your address, I'll get that posted out to you as soon as hopefully get to you before the festivities start. Okay, moving on. Next topic today, we're, we're cramming a lot in. And next up, Mark, was the subject which has come up again since we actually had our last podcast very interestingly and that is VAR so we saw VAR introduced in the FA Cup last season we saw it in the World Cup and it's been introduced in quite a few European leagues and we know that it's coming in to the English Premier League as well so certainly a hot topic just now there's a lot of debate about it some people very keen on it some people not so much and because of the recent incidents in Scottish football and unfortunately we've had some more debatable decisions since We've last spoken about it. Um, it's come up again. Now, I saw Daryl Curry of BT Sports saying that BT Sports would be willing to trial this at some live Scottish games. Now, before we get into the subject of VAR generally, for me, this doesn't work in a let's do it at some games in a competition where not all the games will have it because that immediately opens yourself up to two games that, are both two to get two teams going for the title, two teams trying to stay up, two teams going for a European place, and one game has VAR that's live on TV. There's a bad call given against the team who are vying for that title. Um, it gets overturned correctly, and they get the win or something they need. And in the game where the other team going for the title or the staying up or whatever it might be has a bad decision given against them, it can't be overturned because there's no VAR, and they then lose that head-to-head battle for whatever it might be so for me and i don't know if you agree or not regardless of whether you're for var or against far you can't bring it into some matches in a competition when you're not going to bring it into the rest in that same competition 100 percent, absolutely 100 percent uh daryl curry is a super kid he used to be our saturday guy on super scoreboard um he would make cups of tea and whatever and i'm delighted to see how well he's done and I think he'll be fine when we lose or when BT loses the, the Scottish football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've, we've already seen he's, he's doing hosting duties down south. Uh, he'll be fine. So that's, that's good news. As to his point, no, it, it won't work. It's a nonsense. You, 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 you simply can't do that. 
because you're giving an unfair advantage to one. The Champions League is introducing VAR for the knockout stages because everyone's it's a level playing field. Yeah. Everyone's going to get the chance to have it. Um, if you haven't qualified, you'll not get the chance to use it until until next year. So you cannot introduce it in Scottish football for a, a trial period. Um, you you can have it working, although um, the, the 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 decisions that are are made just from a trial uh, period will not be accepted. That's that's fine. Um, it it can't have any influence. It's either all or all or nothing. And people say, oh, but if you're not going to have it in the lower leagues, well, that that's no longer an argument because we need to have it in the top leagues. But here's here's what I would go with this one: Can we have VAR light? <laughs> okay. No, I'm, I'm I'm just saying because it's going to be costly. Now, is is it the whole package or, or or not the package? What I would suggest, if it's possible, I still think there's an el- there's too much of an element of subjectivity about VAR when it comes to penalty decisions and, and handballs and everything mm-hmm. like that. First of all, we need goal line technology. Then we need black or white decisions like offside. You either are or you're not offside. Those should be the two things for me because you cannot deny if a ball has crossed the line or not, and you cannot deny if a player is offside or not. You then have the minutiae of, wait a minute, what if the ball might or might not have gone out of play in the build-up? What if there'd been a free kick in the lead-up to the potential offside? I get that. If you're if you're not going to introduce it properly, can you introduce it in part? I, I, I mean, there's, there's part of me that doesn't want to introduce properly, because I still I don't trust the people. VAR's mm-hmm. still human error. Mm-hmm. That that that's the whole thing. <clears throat> just just while you're making that point, um, a couple of things that were said. Um, Ek on Twitter, uh, Ekowskis, as he likes to put himself down, says that VAR wouldn't improve the situation in Scotland. You're still relying on the honesty of referees like Dallas, Madden, and Beaton. Things would improve with bringing referees from other parts of the world, other than a G or ML postcode. So uh, maybe don't agree with the, the bias side of it, but. What the point he's making, it's still the same officials making the decision. Um, I don't necessarily believe it's biased, but sometimes I just think that it's poor officiating. Um, on the other side of the coin, Stuart, Stuart1874 on Twitter says, apart from being a jambo season, uh, a jambo, he's a season ticket holder at uh, PSV Eindhoven. This season, uh, they've already had several incidents where VAR have been used to help the ref. The crowd seems to just accept the decisions uh, although most, if not all, have been going in their favour, great thing. Um, so I think it's a tricky one. Now, I get the impression you're for it, Mark. I'm still not, and that's not to say that that might not change in the future. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, I, I've watched a lot of Italian games, just it's the European league I tend to watch more of. I don't like it. You've got incidents in games where you're talking four or five minutes of stoppages, both sets of fans don't know what's going on, and I've seen really poor decisions made on the back of VAR, usually a penalty call. Um, and I was at a game in Prague earlier this year, and there was a goal disallowed, and what happened was the goal was scored, there was celebrations, and all of, and the two sets of players all re got back into their halves, and then suddenly there was a review. We didn't know what was going on. The referee went away, came back, and the goal was disallowed, and it actually destroyed the atmosphere. There was this confusion for the rest of the game, and it just died. So I think it's it's still got to be tweaked 
before I'll be convinced. I don't like it at all. I like the free-flowing nature of football. And I actually don't mind the odd decision going against you because it's the nature of human error. Yeah. It's, and I think it's a bit of a cop-out. To me, the decision, like the offside, for instance, uh, in Hearts Rangers, or in particular, the massive one for me is that penalty decision against St. Johnston. Now, that's just terrible errors. For me, just saying, oh, well, if you give the referee a chance to review it, then he might get it right. Well, no, because it's like saying your strikers strikers aren't scoring in this league. Let's make the goals bigger because they're all crap. No, I, I mean, there's got to be a degree of, well, can we maybe not look at getting better referees or, or, or trying to improve the referees we right. have? Because there's there's making terrible calls and then there's marginal errors. Okay, um, to, to your point, and I was in that boat prior to the World Cup of okay. not a VAR fan. I'm a VAR enthusiast to an extent now, and it's what I've mentioned before about as long <laughs> as it's just certain things. Does it have to be all VAR or not at all? A couple of things. One, that would have been resolved, the offside against Rangers, immediately. Mm-hmm. Two, yeah. The penalty would have been overturned pretty much immediately as well because you're going by all the camera angles available. And we saw three or four at the St. Johnston game. Not one of them shows any sign of backing up what the referee saw. So those two decisions are changed instantly. Now, the Motherwell goal is a difficult one because... It's like in American football in the NFL. Referees are told, don't blow the whistle if you're not sure. Let the play continue, mm-hmm. and then we, re- we review it. It's the same as assistant referees being told at the World Cup. If you're not sure, keep your flag down, because we can always revisit and chalk off a goal. We can't score a goal after the whistle has been blown. So the two incidents which are crucial of, of late um, and paramount to Hearts fans, they're getting overturned immediately because of that. So you're talking about better officials. We have what we have. They're not going to get any better um, with coaching or or with anything like that. We've got what we've got. And I always think there's there's two sides to every story. And Hugh Dallas, I know we've been speaking about his son, but he he gave an interview with, with the BBC. And he's talking about how they still have to train the referees, the FIFA referees in Scotland, on the usage and how VAR works, because in the competitions that they officiate in, VAR is in use. And he said that Scotland could be in danger of, of being a, a backwater nation without the referee technology. And part of that's true. I, the, VAR is not 100%, uh, well, sorry, VAR is 100% correct, but it's the people in charge of VAR who I don't trust all the time. Imagine if Andrew Dallas sees something in a game on VAR and says to the referee, you might have another look, or he is asked to review something that the referee is not sure about, and he makes the wrong decision because wrong decisions were made at the World Cup as well. Yeah, definitely. So it is a gray area. I think we need something. We definitely need something. It's, it's, It's easy to castigate referees and, and it's not personal. And I, I disagree with anybody that says there's an institutional bias. I think anybody like, I wouldn't argue against that back in the day when you had certain referees who were known with an affiliation with, with certain clubs. 
I think these days, I know there's a, a, a number of, of kind of, or maybe too many from certain postcodes that get the chance because of whatever reasons. I think now we, we have a, a situation where I'm not buying into the whole bias nonsense. I'm not buying into the integrity of officials. I'm just buying into some people aren't just good enough. But if you don't have quality officials available to you, you have to go with what's there. And that's the thing. Remember the referee strike? Was it 2010? I think it was. And that, that was based on, on them not being happy at the criticism that referees were taking. And uh, I think it was John McKendrick said on, on the BBC that that's not a path they're, that's, that they're going to go down again, certainly not at the present time. But you're not doing anything right now for refereeing recruitment um, by constantly having a go at them. And I'm, I, 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 my, myself is, is someone who I'm not being happy with it. But VAR is, is something that I'm not 100% convinced. It can work, but VAR itself is, is error-free. It's the human error and the human aspect of VAR that will cause the problems. Well, you'll probably like this one. This is from William Harding, who um, is from the States uh, as well. He says, in regards to VAR, I think that it is a no-brainer to add it into Scottish football, but I feel like the cost may be off-putting to the SFA. As an American Heart supporter, the usage of VAR in the MLS recently has been great overall. Decisions are quickly made, and it really helps the referees avoid the blowback of bad decisions. If a bad call is overruled correctly, the outrage is a lot more minimised and allows referees to get on with the amount of heat they used to receive, without the amount of heat they used to receive, rather. He says, penalties, goals, red cards, and mistaken identity are the only four categories and does not bog the game down with repeated usage of the games I've been to over the course of the last two seasons, I would guess I've seen it used only two or three times. And that's William Harding who got in touch through the website. Here's an example for you. And this might be of interest to to some people. I was calling a match in Serie A uh, a couple of weeks ago before the Juventus against Inter game. And it was Roma who were playing. And they were playing at home to Inter. And... VAR was in use, as it always is. The referee was, I think it was Gianluca Rocchi. In the first half, Zaniolo, the Roma midfielder, was brought down. On hindsight, or with hindsight, sorry, looking back at the incident again, it was pretty clear it was a penalty. But the VAR official in that game had a look at it, because all contentious issues are reviewed, even although they don't tell anybody what that they're doing that. It just happens behind the scenes. And the video assistant referee did not decide to say to the referee, do you want another look at this? Now, as a result, A, it should have been a penalty when it wasn't given. As a result, both the referee on the field, Gianluca Rocchi, and the VAR official who was watching on the monitor, they were both not suspended, but told they were missing the following weekend because of a a poor performance from them both. Now, what does that tell you? You have the facility in play and they still get it wrong. So that backs up the naysayers, of which I still am part of that. Just because you've got it doesn't mean you're going to arrive at the right decision. And these two officials were 
left off and the Italian FA made it clear they would not be getting an appointment last weekend because of their failures the previous weekend. So it's a topic that I think is going to keep coming up in the coming weeks, months. So if you do want to have a say on VAR, then please do feel free to give us a message at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Uh, we spoke about the team for the second half of the season. So this is one I'm going to keep running. Um, so uh, we have had a few messages about your best team for the second half of the season. I'm going to go through some of them next week. Um, as we approach the end of December, we'll look at it more and more. Um, but keep them coming in and, I'm not, and we'll talk about it a bit more next time. Mark obviously gave his team last week. Um, so this is your team for the second half of the season based on what we know. So the personnel that will be available. So... Vanacek, when he comes in from Teplice, he'll be there. And all the players who are currently injured when they return, of course, new players could well be added. So we can't factor those in yet. But do give us a message with your teams uh, for the second half of the season. So that's your hearts formation and personnel who will be within it as well. And we'll discuss those in the coming weeks. Uh, But moving on, Mark, let's have a look ahead to Friday night. And that is Friday night football under the lights uh, at the Tony Macaroni Arena. I just love saying that, um, which will be a live TV game. So Hearts TV subscribers of an international nature like yourself will get video as well. And it's a tough one. Um, Livingston have done very well recently. They have won their last game against St Mirren at home. They've been very hard to beat at home. They're only five points behind Hearts with a game in hand, which... I say they're five points behind. They play Aberdeen before um, Hearts play at Livy on Friday. Uh, so Tuesday night, Friday night, which is going to be difficult for Livy. But at, at home, Mark, they've played nine games in the Premiership. They've conceded three. And they've only lost once now to St Johnston. And in that time, Hibs have went there and lost. Rangers have went there and lost. Celtic have went there and drawn. Um, this is far from an easy game, regardless of Hearts' form beforehand. I'm looking at... Um previous games at Livingston, and, and you're right, it won't, it won't be easy. Um, our last defeat there, and I'd, I had completely forgotten the game, was the Petrofac Training Cup <laughs> Round 2, Wednesday 20th of August, when we had Lee Hollis in goal. And it was basically a team of outfielders that had four either 21 or 22-year-olds, and the rest were teenagers, including... 17-year-old Liam Henderson, whatever happened to him. Um, obviously, we didn't take that very seriously that day. But this this will be tough because they, they are, I would say, better than the sum of their parts. Um, they don't have any individual kind of real standouts. But as a team, my God, they work hard. They're organized. They're disciplined. They can put the boot in. I say disciplined as an organization, not because from what I've seen of them, they can be pretty fiery. Um, so I think Hearts are going to have to be at their best, but also committed to the challenge. I, I, I don't know who the referee is. Maybe you can tell me um, for, for Friday. But I think this will be one of those that there'll be a fair few bookings because I think it'll be very competitive. But with the confidence Hearts have got from the previous win, uh, I'd be disappointed if we don't win there. I think that's... I remember the first season Livy came up and finished third. And we struggled against them that season as well. 
I need to look back over the statistics, but I don't think Hearts have got the best record over the years against promoted sides in their first season up. It's it's going to be a tricky night. Now, one of the things that's inevitably going to come up when you play Livingston um, at the Tony Macaroni is the pitch, which, let's be honest, is pretty terrible. I haven't stood on it. I haven't set foot on it. Is it better or worse? Because obviously when, when you go to your commentary position um, and you get there nice and early, you, do you get a chance to, to get on that park? How does it compare with, with Kilmarnock and Hamilton? I, I, no, I mean, I'm basing on images and feedback. Um, so I don't know if you've seen it. Um, if, if you look it up, basically, it's it's one of these plastic pitches, but it's like that AstroTurf. It's very similar. It reminds me of the one that you'd get at Alawa, where it's kind of... They've oh, covered, no, that's not good. They've covered it in that, the, the, you know, the little black... Pellets. Black pellets that you get when yeah. you play it, like World of Soccer or Five Aside or something. <laughs> um, it's kind of covered in that. It, it does look pretty bad. And I know people complain about Hamilton and Kilmarnock, and there have been injuries that some people have claimed have been down to the pitch, and I don't think they're the best... But this, I think, really is another level down from what I've seen and what people have told me. I mean, you know, might have no bearing on it at all. But certainly it's a tough place to go. So I don't know if that will factor in with the likes of Stephen McLean. But then again, Stephen McLean has played on plastic pitches since he's been at, has, since he's been at heart. Which a lot of St. Johnson fans were not too happy about, given that he was always rested for them in his latter time at St. Johnston. Um how do you see this one going, Mark? I mean, we're not going to delve into the... We're not going to analyse it too much at this point. But how, how do you see this one going? Hearts, obviously, have got that monkey off the back. They've got that win. But this is going to be a tough one. It's not. It's it's no easy follow-up at all. And even if we'd still been in good form, I think you'd have to be going into this one thinking we're, we're going to be in for a battle. And like you say, Livy are a really good unit. They're organised. They're tough. They'll get in amongst it. Um, they'll put tackles in, they work well as a unit, that defensive unit is superb. Um, now, is that something that Craig Levine, who is known to have his teams hard to beat, tough tackling, physical, is it something that he will maybe relish, as opposed to maybe some managers will dread playing a team like Livingston? Yeah, I think it is. I think he's got the players uh, in a kind of, in the mould of a Craig Levine team. He's, he's His persona is kind of uh, mirrored on the field in that, Tough tackling, robust, strong, and the likes of Peter Haring, I think, uh, Christoph Berra, I think this game suits them. Uh, I think there's, without kind of wanting to get egg in my face if Hearts lose this one, but I know they've only lost once at home this season, Livingston. But how long does it take to work a team out that's come up into the league? It takes a few teams, maybe a whole season, but we're now mid December. And it's a fixture that I wouldn't be frightened of. I think we have players that are capable of of going there and getting all three points. If we're up for the battle, which I think will be scrappy, I think it'll be pretty similar to the Motherwell game as well, but it's not a game I would fear, even although they have a really good home record, even although Celtic went there and, and, and struggled. I think we should be going there looking for all three points, and uh, I think we'll get them. And the crazy thing is, Mark, that even after that seven-game run uh, without a win at uh, Hearts, obviously that was including the League Cup as well, but a, a real bad run of form for Hearts before the Motherwell game. 
and obviously with a couple of decisions that maybe could have changed things. But even with all those factored in, if Hearts win against Livingston on Friday night, they will go level on points with Celtic at the top of the table. Albeit some teams will have games in hand and there'll be some Saturday games to come. But that just shows how ridiculously congested yeah. the, the top half of the table is. And part of me is sitting there going, what could have been? Uh, which is hard to... It's hard to get to dismiss that from your mind, um, given that we have had that bad run of form. But w- what a position to still be in with the likes of Stephen Naismith coming back for the next game after Livy, which is Aberdeen away. It, it, exactly. This is a... doesn't matter how you get it, just get the three points. I was just going through the Livingston um, squad. Alan Lithgow <laughs> used to be a, a yeah. Hearts youngster. I was always desperate for him to have a mother called Lynn, but I don't think he does. <laughs> Um, and Jacobs is a is a decent player Keegan Jacobs I really like Ryan Hardy and I know he's been out with injury and I think that start against uh, St Mirren at the weekend was his first of the season Um, good player Dolly Menga's a handful but again they are a they are a side that's built on um, what would be the best way to say that they're not glitz they're not glamour they're just a, a a good, solid outfit. And that solidity has been enough to see them up from the second division to the first division and now to the top division as well. They'll be fine. Everyone had them going down at the start of the season. They'll be fine. If they can get top six, I'll be surprised come the end of the season because I think by now opposition teams should have worked them out and how to play. They play three at the back, um, their fullbacks, from what I believe, or their wingbacks, don't get forward um, too much. So that could mean a congested midfield, because I think Hearts will play three at the back as well. So we could end up... I think if I, if I was betting in this game, I'd go under one and a half goals. I, I think 1-0 is probably the most you're going to get in this if you're going to have 10 players in the middle of the park. I just think we've got to be up for the fight, and if we are, with a bit of luck, I think we can come back with all three points, because it is congested. And how nice will that be? waking up on Saturday morning. And if we do win, it's time to look at the table again. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to peer peer at it through one eye. Um, so let's go. Well, Mark, you, you put this on me, but I think you've, you, you've already, you've done it previously. You, you've made me make a decision on a prediction, but I think you've probably given one that we'd both have to go with, which is Livingston Nil Hearts 1. Yeah, I know I didn't do it last week. I was thinking about this. If I was to have predicted prior to the Motherwell game, I would have said 1-0, really scrappy goal, hanging on at the end. But that's not Mystic Meg, because that's probably what was going to happen. This one, I think it'll either be 0-0 or 1-0 to Hearts in a scrappy encounter. That just about brings us to the end of this week's show. Uh, So thanks again for tuning in. Um, Hopefully everyone's found the audio much clearer and smoother than last time out. So again, apologies for the technical error, uh, glitches, i.e. me being a numpty last time out, which caused the problems. Um, We'll be back uh, next week, which will be after the Friday night game in West Lothian at the Tony Macaroni. And hopefully Hearts have come away with a big three points. Uh, you'll be tuning in on Friday night, which will be, what, lunchtime for you or something like that? Uh, 2.45 on, on Friday afternoon this week. And remember your homework, boys and girls, your Boo Boys 11. Oh, yeah, the Boo Boys 11. 
so yeah, tweet us at around the funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk with feedback to any of the subjects we've spoken about this week. But apart from that, uh, thank you again, Mark, and we'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.